He is risen. Three small words that brought the collective pace of humanity to an absolute standstill. He is risen. Three words that shattered prisons. Words that shook the earth's foundations. Words that transformed a sense of utter despair into cries of pure joy and ecstasy. Echoes of history's greatest triumph that still shape our reality. Even today, we're assaulted by constant distraction, countless sources waging war for our attention, yet three words pierce the noise. In our hunger for validation, our desperate pleas for love and attention, three words calm our anxieties. In a universe spinning at breakneck speed, its inhabitants locked in an existential crisis, three words proclaim the purpose of our existence. He is risen. Lay hold of this truth and embrace the peace within. Yesterday, fear reigned in our hearts. Yesterday, we sat in crippling darkness. Yesterday, we suffered abuse and all the accusations of a broken world. But today, our king, our healer, our defender is risen. And this reality doesn't merely accompany us on a meaningless journey. This changes everything. For you see, if he is risen, then all other pursuits become secondary. All of our failures become insignificant. All criticisms and condemnations become irrelevant. There is only his word, his mission, and his infinite, unconditional love for you. Because he is risen, we look to tomorrow. Tomorrow, we will stop defining our worth through status and social media. Tomorrow, we will together build an everlasting kingdom. Tomorrow and every day after, we will dance in the radiance of a redeeming savior who crushed death and set us free. There is nothing that Jesus cannot overcome. We know this because he lives. We know this because he is risen. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? He is risen. That's right. All right, we want to thank you guys for coming to Hope Haven Church on today. Um, excited about what God is doing and excited to see all these wonderful faces here today. Uh, so we're just going to go right into the word. Are you guys ready? All right. Those of you that have your Bibles, uh, turn with me real quickly to the book of St. Mark. St. Mark, we're going to start at the 16th chapter. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. And when you get there, say amen. If you're still reading, going through your book, I'll wait, Jody. If you can't find it, it's right here, Jody. <laughs> All right, you ready? All right, it says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, one, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome bought spices so they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb 
at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. They were amazed and alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has been resurrected. He is not here. See the place where they put him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. So they went out and started running from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. The title of this message is, in call, is entitled, What Did You Expect? <laughs> what did you expect? If God is a keeper of his word, and God has always come through with what he has promised in your life, then what do you expect? So if we go back to the beginning of this verse, I'm going to walk through this text. Y'all with me today? Can, can we just, just, just talk some Bible for just a couple moments? So we go to this text, and it says, when the Sabbath was over, comma. When the Sabbath was over, comma. When Saturday, and as you're saying in 2019 terms, is over, comma. Jesus is buried on Friday. And according to Jewish customs, they're supposed to rest, and they're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, which is Saturday. So now, can you imagine here, if you're Mary, let's, let's just deal with uh, Mary, the mother of James, or Mary Magdalene, or any of these women who are, or are sitting there, and they have just witnessed Jesus being crucified on Friday. They've seen him whipped 39 times in his back. They've seen nails placed in both hands. They've seen nails put in both feet. They've seen a crown of thorns put upon his head. They've seen someone pierce him in his side and blood and water comes out. And they've seen him bow his head and die. Can you imagine the type of uh, trauma that is going through the minds of this people after witnessing something like that? This type of torture did not just happen in a couple moments. This wasn't a gunshot or a, a stab wound. This was torture that went over the course of hours. And they sat there and watched him go through this torture over the course of hours. And there's a certain torture that's going on in their mind, but yet they can't move because it's Saturday. Joseph, uh, a, a rich man, was able to wrap his body and he was able to quickly put spices on him to preserve him because, you know, if you leave a dead body out after a certain amount of time, it begins to decay. Uh, but he had to do it quickly, and he couldn't do it as great as he wanted to because the Sabbath was coming near. So because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, he had to do it as fast as he could on Friday before, sun, before the sun went down. Uh, so they put him inside of the tomb. They roll the tomb, or they roll the tomb with a stone. And 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 Pontius Pilate and 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 the Jewish leaders were so afraid that Jesus or one of his disciples would bring him out. So what they did was they put two Roman soldiers at the mouth of the cave to make sure that Jesus didn't escape. Amen. So now it's Saturday. I can't work. I can't move. I can't go see Jesus. 
Can you imagine a tragedy in your mind and there's no spices to preserve his body? Which means that if I wait too long, by the time I get to Jesus, he'll be unrecognizable. So it's Saturday and these women are sitting here and they can't eat or they can't work. They can't do any type of work. And it's devastating to them because the Jesus that they have known, this is Mary Magdalene. This is a woman that was a prostitute, a woman that was given up on, a woman that people had left for dead. This is a woman that now has found hope in someone and now he is dead and she cannot preserve his body. This is Mary, the mother of James. This is also, also can be uh, Mary, the mother of Christ, because Christ had a brother by the name of James. And can you imagine your child sitting inside of a tomb, sitting inside of a grave? Let's modernize it. Sitting inside Cooper Hospital, sitting inside Virtual Hospital, sitting inside Asperia. Am I saying it right? Inspira. Sitting inside of one of these hospitals because of a tragedy that happened on Friday, but you can't get there till Sunday. Imagine the pain, women, that you would feel as a mother. That you can't get there to get to your child for two days. Watch this. Because God said so. They can't move because God said so. The Bible says, according to the law of Moses, that we are not supposed to labor, not us, but under the Jewish law, we're not supposed to labor or work on the Sabbath as honor to God for resting on the Sabbath day after, he, after creation. So it is an order by God not to move. What do you do when you want to react and God says, don't move? <laughs> it's quiet here. What do you do when God puts your life on pause? You want to react. You want to move. Can we get real? You want to fight. You want to get vengeance. And God says, don't move. And many of us have been in portions of our life where God has put us on pause. And it seems like we're running in a hamster wheel and we're running in circles and we're like, why am I making no progress? The reason why you're making no progress is because God has put you on pause. And the reason why God has put you on pause is so that his perfect work can be done in your life. So you have to understand if they would have been there, the resurrection would have been all messed up. So in order for God to do his complete work, he had to put them in a place where they could stand still so he can do what he had to do. So that when they got up and were able to finally move, God's perfect plan was already done. Sometimes God puts you on pause so that he can do his perfect will. And then when he says go, you skip a whole lot of obstacles that you would have had to go through if God didn't put your life on pause. Sometimes we need to thank God that he put our life on pause. Uh, sometimes we need to thank God that he didn't allow you to react the way that you wanted to react. But he put your stop sign right in front of your way. He made the way out of no way. Then he said, green light. And then next thing you know, you're inside of your destiny because you allowed him to do what he needed to do before he gave you the green light to move forward. So now these, can you imagine the anticipation that these women are going through that in the next couple hours, uh, we're finally will be able to move. I've been sitting here for so long. I've been worrying about Jesus. I've been concerned about Jesus. And now the Bible says the Sabbath is finally over. And immediately Mary Magdalene, mother, Mary, the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they could go and 
anoint him. Watch this. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, they went to the tomb at sunrise. The moment that they were able to be released, they started running. The moment that the Sabbath was over, over, they started moving. Now watch this. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb for us? Watch this. There's a dilemma. They don't know how they're going to see Jesus, but it doesn't stop them from still going. <laughs> There's a stone that's preventing them from seeing Jesus, but it does not stop their journey to still try to get to him. What does that mean? It means there should be no obstacle that should prevent you from trying to see Jesus. Can I give you an example? There's a whole lot of folks that come up with excuses every Sunday. There's a whole lot of folks that come up with excuses on why they don't pray during the week. There's a whole lot of folks that come up with obstacles and, oh, well, you know, I was just going through, I was tired, I was overwhelmed, I just had a busy week, so I didn't have time to open my Bible, I didn't have time to pray. And all that is, is that's an obstacle, but these women say, we'll figure it out when we get there. I don't know how it's going to happen, but in spite of, I'm going to keep walking and we'll figure it out when we get there. There are too many times in our life where we stop moving instead of trusting God that he's going to make a way by the time we get there. So these women start walking and they don't know how God's going to do it, but they keep on walking. You don't know how God's going to do it. You're going to work tomorrow. You don't know how God's going to make ends meet, but you keep on walking. The doctor gave you an evil report, but you keep on walking. All types of things are going on in your family, but you keep on walking. And it is that walk of faith when you keep walking by, by, by faith and not by sight, but you're trusting God that God is making a way out of no way just because you took a dare to make a step. I need somebody to look at your neighbor and say, just take a step. Stop sitting around trying to come up with solutions and just take a step. Stop talking about what's in the way and why you can't do it and just take a step. I'm unemployed, but take a step. I don't have money. Take a step. I don't know how it's going to happen. Take a step. I don't know how I'm going to change. Take a step. The moment you take a step is the moment that God can operate. God just wants to see whether or not you have enough faith to take a step before you get to your destination. They're saying, who will roll away the stone for us? It's all right. Looking up, watch this. As they're walking, they don't know who's going to roll away the stone. Now watch this. It takes about six strong men, like myself, that could roll that stone away. And these are three women. But it doesn't stop them. Watch this. It takes about me, me, let me stop. Me, Nate, Eric, I'll throw Royce in there. Darnell, Dan Herbert, I don't know, anybody. And, and, and it takes about six of us, but we ain't there. And these women, watch this, y'all ready? They don't go try to wake up Peter. They don't go to try to wake up the other 12 disciples. These women have enough faith that they don't try to bother someone else to move an obstacle for them to see Jesus. Y'all with me? I want him so bad that I'm not going to bother if you don't want him as bad as I want him. So watch this. It's 
sunrise. It's not even sunrise, really. It's about four in the morning. Because a moment after the Sabbath is over, they get to walking. It's four in the morning. It's pitch black. They're carrying spices to preserve his body because they didn't embalm. And as they're walking, they notice that the stone has been rolled away. Y'all with me? As they're walking, they're noticing that the stone has been rolled away. And when they enter the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were amazed and alarmed. How many men did I tell you it took to move that stone? They go to the tomb and there's one man and the, stu- the, the, the tomb is rolled away. Now watch this. It's already spooky that I'm getting up four o'clock in the morning to go see a dead person in a grave. But the fact that I get there and there's somebody else there with all white on in a grave is even spookier. Yeah, y'all quiet. Anybody ever been out? I'm out dark, no light. I mean, no light, no street lights, no car lights. Y'all, y'all ever, y'all, y'all ever been like that? I mean, you could literally just bump into a pole. It's just pitch black, right? Can you imagine walking four o'clock in the morning to a graveyard? I want y'all to really see how spooky this text is. You already crazy to be walking out there by yourself four o'clock in the morning. And then you walk into the grave and there's a man sitting there with all white on. Would that scare you? Now watch this. He has all white on in a grave site. Now we know a grave site is a dirty place. But he has all white on. He's sitting in the grave site by himself. And it appears that he moved this tomb away all by himself in his own strength, which tells me that there's something supernatural about him. Not only that, but it's pitch black. And I don't know about y'all, but if you've ever been somewhere at 4 o'clock in the morning and it's pitch black, I mean pitch black, uh, somebody can be sitting right next to you with a white T-shirt on and you don't even see them. The whitest white can't be seen at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm going somewhere. This right here cannot be seen at 4 o'clock in the morning if we're walking in the dark. So it tells us that there was something special about his white. Whenever there's an angelic presence in the Bible, in the New Testament, they're always wearing white. Let's go back. Matter of fact, let's go back to the Old Testament, Daniel, the seventh chapter. When Daniel had an encounter, he said he had all white raiment on. St. John, the 20th chapter, when Mary went into the tomb, it says that there was an angel sitting at the head and at the foot of where Jesus laid, and they had all white on, and it was shining. Saint, uh, book of Acts, uh, the first chapter, when Jesus ascended up to heaven, and his disciples are looking, the Bible says that an angel appeared when all white, and said, why, did you, why are you looking up at the sky? Book of Acts, the 10th chapter, with Cornelius, the Bible says that he has an encounter with an angel who has all white on, which tells us that this white, It's not just regular white, but this is angelic white that has a certain shine that can be seen in the darkness. And it startles them because they recognize that this is not just an ordinary man. Not only that, but white is only supposed to be worn during a a, a celebrative uh, festivity. 
You don't wear white to a funeral. Some do. Let me stop. Y'all like, my grandma homecoming, we wore white. <laughs> you don't usually wear white when you're mourning. But he has white on. Why does he have white on? Because it's a celebration. Y'all yeah, yeah, miss it. There's a celebration. That's why he's wearing white. He's celebrating because Jesus is no longer in the tomb. So when you go to the next verses, the Bible, you look at the scripture, he's speaking with, with, with exclamation marks. Y'all with me? Uh, he says, uh, don't be alarmed. Uh, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been resurrected. He's saying it with excitement. He is not here. He's saying it with excitement. See the place where they put him, but go and tell his disciples and Peter. There's a certain excitement about the angel because God has fulfilled his purpose. So watch this. He tells them, don't be alarmed. I'm almost done. You are looking for Jesus. He's telling them what they're looking for. Now watch this here. What he's saying to them is don't be alarmed because what you were coming to see was what you witnessed three days ago. What you were coming to see was a Jesus that was scorned, crucified, and whipped, and had blood all shed and all down his back. What you were looking for was Jesus who had holes in his hand. What you were looking for was Jesus who had holes in his feet. What you were looking for was Jesus who had holes in his side. But don't be alarmed because that Jesus that you witnessed on the cross three days ago is not the same Jesus that is here now. He has risen and he is still alive. Can I go a step further? And I'm getting ready to close right here. Some of you have come here today looking for the same old, same old. You came in, expected your life to just be normal. You came in here today and you expected everything to not change. But God has placed you on an assignment to come in through these doors to give you hope that what you were looking at three days ago what you were looking at three years ago, now that you have Christ in your life, those things are getting ready to change for the better in your life. So now these women are sitting here and they're looking for the past, but this angel has given him confirmation that Christ has already moved on like he said that he was going to do. I'm here to tell somebody today, don't get caught up in what has happened in your past. Three years ago, you went through a divorce. Three years ago, you went through bankruptcy. Three years ago, you went through a miscarriage. Three years ago, you went through a, a, a financial collapse in your life. Three years ago, you went through unemployment. And now you're just going back to that grave site, going back to the grave of your soul to commemorate this hurt and just to remember it for the rest of your life. But I'm here to let you know that better days are getting ready to come. That those things that you remember three years ago are not going to be the rest of your life. I'm here to give somebody a message of hope that where you were three years ago is not where you're going to be in the next three years. Where God has brought you from, you're getting ready to go to another level. But don't get so caught up in your past that you think that that's where you're going to stay. Don't go into the grave of your soul and give yourself a funeral, but celebrate that God has given you a resurrected life so that you can live and live a little bit longer. I'm almost done here, but I need somebody to understand that this is not the end. I made some mistakes and I had some flaws and I had some issues and the enemy has fought me on every side, but this is not the end. That Jesus did not go to the grave so that we could be defeated. Jesus did not go to the grave so that we could die. 
and just go on with no hope. But Jesus died on the cross so that we could have eternal hope. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be with him in eternity. Jesus died on the cross because you have to understand, and I don't want to go back to Thursday night, but when the fall of Adam came, we were bound to be in sin or in death for the rest of our life. The grips of death had us by our shoulders, and we were supposed to die an eternal death because of the sin of the disobedience of Adam. When Adam was disobedient to God, mankind got a blood poisoning, and there was no cure for that blood poisoning. So what Jesus had to do was he had to die as our our vaccination, our eternal vaccination of the blood poisoning that we observe when, when, when Adam died or when Adam was disobedient back in Genesis 3. So now we can look at ourselves and recognize that this body will die, but we will only sleep for a moment. But that when the trump sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then those of us that remain shall be caught up. So we are not sitting here today on resurrected serve on a resurrected Sunday with no hope. We're not sitting here on a resurrected Sunday with pity. Amen. We're not sitting here on a resurrected Sunday as if though we don't know what's going to happen when this life is over. I know we want to hear about houses and cars and all of that good stuff. But can I tell you something? It's more important that my soul is with Jesus in eternity than I have a bitly parked outside and have an empty, empty heart and an empty soul. I'd rather have eternity with Jesus than have all of the riches of the world and I die and all of that stuff stays here. But I go in the grave by myself. Mary now, Martha now, has been told that Jesus, who was crucified, has been resurrected. That tomb that you're looking at for, or that person that you were looking for in the tomb, he's no longer here. Go tell his disciples, watch this, and Peter. Go tell his disciples, and Peter. Y'all like, what? I thought Peter was one of the disciples. Why does he get a certain name drop? How come he don't say and James and John and Bartholomew and Andrew and Philip and all those other names? Why does he point out Peter? Because you guys remember that when Peter came to Jesus and Jesus told him that he had to go to the cross, Peter tried to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. And he says that when the crow crocks thrice, you will deny me. And the Bible says that when Jesus was put on the cross, the people identified Peter. And they begin to say, aren't you the one that was following Jesus? And Peter said, no, that ain't me. And then somebody else said, ain't, no, that, that's you. And Peter said, uh-uh, that ain't me. And then finally somebody said, Peter, that, that, that was you. And the Bible says Peter started cussing. It's in the Bible. Peter started cussing. I said it wasn't me. And next thing you know, and it was a remembrance of what Christ told him was going to happen. And the Bible says, and Peter wept because Peter thought that he had turned his back on God. Peter at this point had given up hope because he had walked with Jesus for three and a half years, and when Jesus needed him the most, 
he wasn't a ride or die. Y'all with me? He wasn't a ride or die. So Peter has a certain hurt inside of him because he identified himself from being one of the 12. And the Bible says Peter goes on fishing and goes on living his life. And the Bible says that God now comes, Jesus comes back and tells the women to go tell his disciples and Peter. Basically, Peter, I didn't give up on you. Some of us have made some mistakes and we thought that God had turned his back on us. Some of us made some mistakes and we were like, man, uh, Maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe, maybe, maybe I messed up too far. Maybe I went too far. Maybe God is not able to bring me out of this situation. Some of us have been there before. Where you thought that your sin was so deep that there was no one or nothing that could save you from that sin. But I'm here to let you know, just like Jesus came back for Peter, Jesus is willing to come back for you. I'm almost done. There is no issue that you have that Christ can't redeem you from. There is no mistake that you have made that God can't forgive. See, one of our problems with forgiveness is that we treat God's forgiveness like we treat our own. We all have a certain line. And when you cross that line on us, we can't forgive you. We turn our back on you. And we think God thinks like us. So there's no way in the world that God can forgive me because if I did the, if, or if somebody did that to me, I wouldn't forgive them. But that's why you're not God. You need to thank God. You're, I need to thank God you're not God. <laughs> thank God y'all, none of y'all in here God. Because a whole lot of y'all would have closed the door on me 20 years ago. I would have been doomed for hell 20 years ago if some of y'all was my God. But thank God for his grace and for his mercy. Watch this. He knew your end before you even knew your beginning. He knew the end result. Before the foundations of the world, God had foreknowledge of where he was going to take you. And all of your twists and turns, I know this sounds hard and it sounds almost unbelievable, all of your twists and turns in your life were designed by God. I'll show you. I'll show you. Y'all got like five minutes and I'm going to sit down. I'll show you. Y'all with me? Abraham was a liar. Isaac was a liar. Jacob was a liar. A trickster. Uh, uh, let's go. Let's get go. Uh, Judah slept with his daughter-in-law and had twins. Y'all like Jesus. David married a woman and killed her husband to justify his sin. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Y'all quiet. Let's just talk about the mess. Noah was a drunk. But when we go to Luke 3, and when we go to Matthew 1, we see the name Rahab. And Rahab was a harlot. 
We see Ruth, and Ruth was a Moabite. We see Bathsheba, and Bathsheba was an adulterer. We see Tamar, and Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. We see all of these flawed people who have issues, who are jacked up. But when I go to Matthew 1, and I start from Abraham all the way down to 42 generations, I end up with Jesus. Which means that through their flaws and all, God still had a purpose and a plan for their being. And if God could find flaws and all in them and still use them, then God can use you with your flaws and all and still give you purpose. All of those flaws, all of those issues, but they all had something to do with Jesus getting here. (laughs) Think about it. All of those issues, and I'm sure after every time each and every single one of them sinned, they thought God had turned their back on them like Peter did. But yet, I'm sure they're looking back now, and they're saying through those flaws and alls, God's perfect being, God's perfect will knew what he was doing when I made those mistakes. Because through those mistakes, the Christ came through this bloodline. Judah thought he made a mistake when he lay with his daughter Tamar. But through that mistake came those twins. David thought he made a mistake when he killed Bathsheba's husband and married her. But Solomon came through that mistake. Some of us have come through all different types of issues where our parents and, you know, mom and dad divorced and mom and dad did this and daddy left when I was three and mama left when I was two and I got daddy issues and I got mama issues. But all of that was part of your design being to get you to your end result. You wouldn't be as strong as you were if you didn't have the pain that you had. We need to be grateful. I know that sounds hard, but thank him. For the hard times as well as the good times. Amen. I'm going to give you three points here real quickly and I'm going to sit down. We're going to take communion. Number one, God will sometimes put you on a pause so he can complete his work. All right. We talked about that. Number two, obstacles shouldn't hinder you from seeing Jesus. Don't get caught up in missing your moment. Don't get caught up in missing God. Don't get caught up in missing, you know, things that God has for you because some situations occur in your life. And number three, don't be shocked when God does what he promises he'd do. After a while, after you've been living a while, God has blown your mind numerous times. Expect the best. For the Bible says that all things work together for the good. For those that love him and are called according to his purpose. It's going to work together for your good. Praise God. I want to thank you guys for coming today. Praise God. <clears throat> Y'all like, you early. I am. I want to do something here and I'm, I'm done. If there's anyone under the sound of my voice that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal savior, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. You want to join the family of God. There's benefits in being in the family of God. Am I right? And I'm going to give you the ultimate benefit. The ultimate benefit of being in the family of God is eternal life. I know in in, in this modern day theology, we don't like to teach that hell is real, but 
Hell is real. But hell is not for you. Heaven belongs to you. And if there's anyone in the sound of my voice that does not know Jesus Christ, just raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're just going to pray right where you are. We're just going to pray right where you are. Praise God. Praise God. And if there's anyone else under the sound of my voice, you were like, the, like those women. You were looking to just commemorate your issues. And you're like, man, I, I, I just didn't think it, it, it could get any better from where I'm at right now. But I heard this message of hope, and I believe that God is getting ready to make some things better. Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. That's right. Don't be afraid. I'm going to pray for you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. We're just going to pray just a prayer of hope that it's going to get better. And, Father, we thank you right now. We thank you, Lord, for touching us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this word. We thank you, Lord, for moving by your spirit, God. And, God, we pray, God, for better days, God. We pray, God, that the things that we have endured in our past, God, won't haunt us in our future. We pray, God, that you just release the shackles of pain, release the shackles of guilt, release the shackles of hurt. God, just give us joy. And God, we thank you, Lord, and we give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to partner with us or make a donation, please visit our site at www.go2hopehaven.org. Our mission statement is to reach, evangelize, accept, and love. Your contribution will be a blessing to many in our local community, nationally, and even internationally. Again, thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more next week.